The reviews are in, and we're going to tell you what they are. He's Todd Vandenberg. I'm Rob Steele, and we've got, uh, granted, not a whole lot of news, but we've got a lot of reviews. And a question. It's kind of an important question. We'll get to that in a minute. But we're going to start off with what is probably the big news of the week. At least it was for me, because the rest of it, you're going to go, that's news? And I'll say, yes, apparently. <laughs> kind of. <clears throat> the Dune trailer for the forthcoming remake of, well, it, actually, I'm going to say this is the first make movie made of the movie direct uh, of the book directly. Cause the movie we had before took a lot of liberties and I suspect this one will too. Loosely based, loosely based. Well, to be inspired honest, inspired by, Oh geez. Any, any, any movie based on a novel is going to be, is going to have to take liberties. Yeah. But, uh, they but, took a lot. <laughs> there, there, there is no wielding weapon, by the way, in, in the book. Um, the wielding module—that's what it was. They yell at everybody. I don't even know how they came up with that. I suspect crack was involved. Um. So anyway, the Dune trailer came out, and I liked it. I thought it looked really good. I liked that they—I even liked that they did took Pink Floyd's Eclipse from 1973 and redid it and put that as the background music. Cause it worked in my head. Anyway, what did you think? I, I like the trailer. Um, as to whether or not I'll like the movie, there's no way to tell. And I don't oh. think there would be any way to tell from a trailer for Dune anyway. I'm not saying the trailer, it, it makes me, it makes me interested. And again, that's the job of the trailer. Mission but, accomplished. Yeah, but I have no idea how it's going to turn out as a film, uh, just because we've seen some attempts. Uh, Villanueva is a terrific director. Is he the right person to try it? Hell yeah. Um, we'll see. Asked. We'll see. We'll see how it goes. Uh, the trailer, I'll just say the trailer did nothing to convince me that they got it right. Uh, and I don't know that a trailer could, because I don't know that you could put that into two minutes. So it does what? tell me. It does tell me for one thing that it doesn't look like they screwed it up. I mean, so far, so good for sure. My one complaint is the the front on view of the worms, mm -hmm. which look a little bit. Let's see. As my daughter would put it, it looks a bit anal. And you, we, we mean that in not the, in the not a good way. Um, so anyway, moving on. See, that's almost a segue to the next story, though. Ooh, creepy. Creepy. It has to do with RoboCop. Because who wouldn't expect RoboCop after Dune? They're making, and I do not understand this at all, a prequel to RoboCop that follows Dick Jones. That's who is interesting. The, the corporate exec uh, who was uh, anal. Yeah, a bit. Not necessarily that way, but and it, how he came to rise in power in OCP. And you kind of go, why are you making this? Uh, is this a film or what is the... It's supposed to be a film. That's an odd choice. I can see, um, I can see this as a limited series more than I can see a film, to be honest, because uh, it would give you more time to explore the whole world. Um, 
and and depends who's doing it. Like, is Mr. Verhoeven any part of this, or is this just? A I I know it's a RoboCop prequel that follows the rise and fall of Dick Jones. Yeah, that's about if, it. All I know. If, if Verhoeven's in, involved, then definitely could be interesting. Uh, odd choice, though. I would have thought Murphy, but hey, who knows? Speaking well, comp- well you know, honestly, I think Murphy would be kind of a pre-RoboCop. He's just a cop family man. Yep. I mean, I don't really think that would be that interesting a film, to be honest. I think Dick Jones is a good choice. It's just a... Oh, I'll agree with you. An odd choice to even do it at all. That, that, that's more where I was going with it. Right, exactly. But speaking of computerized stuff, there's a new AI program used for uh, potential casting in the UK. And it they, they picked something kind of interesting to do with it this week. They decided to pick who should be the next James Bond. So they gave it all of the Bond criteria and the computer came up with three sets of who should be the next Bond. And we started with male actors from the United Kingdom because Bond is a guy from the UK. Hello. Which would make, would make sense. The top match was Henry Cavill at 92.3% of a match. Followed by Richard Armitage at 92% and Idris Elba at 909 And we all know where we stand on that. Number two would be Armitage for me after Idris Elba. Yeah. But I thought that was interesting. Then they expanded it to non-UK actors. And this beca- this is when it became really weird. Uh, coming in at a 96.7% match, Carl Urban. Thought that was interesting. 93.9, Chris Evans. 92.2, Will Smith. No, hell to the no to Will Smith. Oh, cool. Um, uh, no. Uh, well, I did think it was interesting that those three, well, okay, Will Smith was 0.1 behind Henry Cavill, the best UK match. Yeah. The other two were ahead of him by quite a bit. Yeah. Uh, no to Chris Evans. Um, I like Chris Evans a lot. And yes, he can do dramatic roles and all the rest of it. But Carl Urban, maybe even ahead of Idris Elba. Maybe. That would be a tough call to me. Well, how's this then? The third set, they opened up to female actors. Oh, gladly. So, coming in at a whopping 97.3% match, Gina Carano. Of, uh, as yeah. far as I can tell, Mandalorian fame. Haywire. She, which yeah. is a terrific... She would probably be pretty good. I mean, as far as the acting chops. As far as the action... <laughs> yeah, uh, she would be okay. <laughs> well, she was followed at 94.4% Katie Sackoff. Hmm. And at 94.2 Angelina Jolie. No. Which I would not want. I I I don't know that I've really really liked anything Angelina's been in since Hackers. Um, but I really liked her in Salt, but basically she's kind of done it already uh yeah no, no to angelina i i would to me that the two names that really pop out are mr elba and, Car- and carl urban uh man either one of those would be like out of the park 
Excellent. And I kind of wish, not kind of, I do wish they would just go with Idris Elba. And just, can we please, can we please not have the white guy all the time? I mean, black people do exist in Great Britain, so that would be fine. But honestly, out of all of those names, I don't think I would exactly pick it if any of them got the role. Other than Will Smith, it's like, no. Will Smith is not James Bond, sorry. And no. And obviously not because he's black. He's just, he's... He's, like, he's too happy. He's too American. Well, that too, yeah. And I'm sure he can do a British, I know he can do a British accent because, you know, the concussion movie. So, yeah, not that that was British, but I'm saying he can do accents. And he's an excellent actor, but just no. I know he can do dramatic roles too. He doesn't have I, to be silly all the time. But. Here's the issue. I don't want it to turn into a Will Smith vehicle, and I'm afraid that's exactly what they would do. So, no. Yeah. Thank you. Well, opening it up to, to female actors, I thought was also interesting. Um, yeah. Which leads into news out of Marvel this week. Uh, comes from the Eternals movie, where we finally figure out who someone is playing. We knew Selma Hayek was in it somewhere. Yep. She's playing the character Ajak, which I thought was interesting. And I know a lot of people are not familiar with the Eternals. So you're not going to know that, hey, there was a gender swap here. That's what I thought, yeah. Um, she was revealed in full costume on the on the back of an action figure prototype. <laughs> and that's actually the best look we've gotten at it so far. But she, I mean, she looks like the character. And I don't think there's, you know, there's not a problem with it. It's just a, wait a minute, didn't she used to be a dude? Okay, fine. Yeah, exactly. Mark Mar- Mar- Hayek is always a good thing. Uh, I, you know, the whole thing with the Eternals, I mean, at this point, Marvel's kind of bulletproof. And I understand you may address that a little later on in the show, but who the hell heard of Guardians of the Galaxy? Yeah, I mean, in a general well, way. In a general way, yes. I know I, you I, However, not that particular group. Right. Um, right. I don't think that particular group actually existed until they already said, hey, we're doing the movie. Yeah. So, uh, super excited about Eternals whenever it comes out sometime in the next decade. Yeah. I, I, Wonder Woman got delayed again. It's been exactly in December. So who knows? Christmas. Wonder Woman's all the way back to Christmas now. Oh, so, and if that happens then. So we'll see. But it gives us more time to actually find actors. And I think I found one for a character because I watched Thor 2 The Dark World this week because I kept seeing a lot of crap about, oh, it's the worst Marvel movie ever. And I'm like, no, it's 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 not that bad. Now I know where you're going with this. Um, now you know. It, it I, might be the least best Marvel movie, but it's a good movie. And, yeah, I mean, it, and that's the thing. It's, it's not horrible. It was fun. It still had the silliness, but not as much as one. Because uh, the original Thor had a lot of just blatant silliness to it that I did that that took me right out of it. I never, I didn't. I liked Thor two better than Thor one. I am a bit odd that way. You are a philistine, but I, I and I think everybody agrees. One particular actor was kind of wasted in Thor: The Dark World. Absolutely, because I thought Malekith was a good villain, but you absolutely wasted Christopher Eccleston. Exactly, who was an he was an excellent actor. Yep. So, 
I want your opinions on this. Find us on Facebook. Find us on Twitter. You can send us an email. Contact at cinemasavants.com. What are your thoughts on Christopher Eccleston to play Victor Von Doom? Because we know Dr. Doom is coming. And we want a good actor for it. And Christopher Eccleston would be awesome. It's just a matter of seeing if he would accept wearing the Dr. Doom mask. <laughs> Considering how he looked as Malekith, I'm pretty sure he's okay with wearing a mask. Um, uh, yeah. I, I, when you mentioned that pre-pro, hi, Ted, I thought that was excellent. I mean, there are plenty of people out there who could do Dr. Doom, of course, but I would love to see, and especially here's the thing, Hopefully, we. I would assume everybody assumes that if they do Doctor Doom, Doctor Doom is the new big bad. Doctor Doom is not. Uh, hey, I'm in one movie. I'm gone. That, no. that that's not what you do with Doctor Doom, because he has been the big bad in several character arcs through through Marvel. So this is a multiple shot. This is a hey, you want to sign a six picture deal thing? So that, yeah, exactly. That would be terrific. That would be terrific. And it's such an interesting character because depending on the story, he's an anti-hero in some instances, which which makes Doom very interesting like Thanos. He's he's got true motivations that an actual person would have instead of, I'm an evil villain. So, yeah, I love the thought of Eccleston. I thought that'd be terrific. Either that or Tobey Maguire. No, kidding. No. It would be horrific. And I do like Toby Maguire, but that's not the right role. About to give me a stroke. Thanks. <laughs> Appreciate it. <laughs> that's my villainous act. That, that, that qualifies. Uh, speaking of villainous acts, I'm going to go right into the first of my, uh, my reviews this week. And you're going to go, why are you reviewing this? And I'll explain it at the end. And you'll go, oh, I get it. It's racist. <laughs> no, it's, it's not. It just happens to be. Don't be happens racist. to tie itself together. That's the, that's the other show, Rob. Don't, don't do it on this show. I'm trying not to. I will get to something about that later, though. <laughs> I'm going to go back to 1974 for this because I've been going back and watching movies that I've been told I should have watched by now. And I never got around to watching Chinatown. Which, uh, if you are not familiar with it, like I wasn't, it is a Roman Polanski mystery with Jack Nicholson and Faye Dunaway. And I got to admit, it took me a while to get into this because I wasn't really sure, first off, what time period it took place in. Uh, which is apparently the late 30s. And I know that because I looked it up because we everything in it looked old. I knew it wasn't 1974. I knew it was somewhere between 1950 and 1900. Because <laughs> that, that's a period of history I am very not familiar with. I wasn't there. Know your cars. That's the key. Know your cars. If I they get it right. Anyway. But uh, yeah, it's about uh, the water rights in Los Angeles as they're trying to build the town and how the water commissioner was killed and Jack Nicholson uh, his private investigator character, whose name I forgot to write down. Oops. Anyway, Jake, Jake Gittis. Thank you. Uh, he was involved, so he's he's trying to figure it out. And Faye Dunaway plays the guy's wife, who sleeps with Jack really quickly. Really? Hmm. Interesting. Um. Well. 
I'm just saying he died. He died one day. They did the funeral scene the next day. <clears throat> Cue your porn music from whatever 1950 had. Um, I just thought it was weird because they kept mentioning, ooh, there was a thing that happened in Chinatown when Jack Nicholson was a cop. And you go, oh, what was it? And I don't think we ever find out, did we? Because I missed it if we did. Mm, not specifically, no. Yeah, see, it, it, there was something bad that happened in Chinatown. Now, I was expecting there to be more Chinatown in this movie. Um. The uh, near the only two Asians in the cast list are James Wong and uh, Beulah Kuo. More on her in a minute, and I think this is interesting. We don't actually get to Chinatown until the last scene of the movie. This is, I suppose it's spo- a spoiler, but the movie's from 1974. You should have seen it by now, too. He says, because he hadn't until this week. Anyway, <clears throat> the the final scene, it's about five minutes long. The bad guy has kidnapped the good guy and makes him go to Chinatown to kidnap the good girl and another girl. And the good guy's partners are there, but they're handcuffed by the cops who are looking for them, too. And there's a shootout and there's all these people in the background. And they let the bad guy get away with some stuff, but not the murder of the person with the thing. See, I'm not I'm being vague. So you can still watch it and go, what the hell is Rob talking about? Because you should watch it. It's a long, drawn-out scene that takes place on the streets of Chinatown, and the last line of the movie is, well, it's Chinatown. And as the camera pulls back, that is the first time we see someone who might actually be Chinese in the movie who isn't in the cast list. How how, how do you do I, I didn't get that part. Why is it even called Chinatown? China, Chinatown is a metaphor for things you can't change. Um, because I, I'm, how am I supposed to know that going in? Because there are things you can't change, as, as Jake finds out. Jake, Jake tries to change things, and he can't, because he's up against bigger issues than he can handle. And that's why he says, forget it, Jake. Yeah, it's but, Chinatown. Yeah, but, 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 but I didn't get that because i'm why didn't i get that i don't know i don't know i'm thinking there should be there should be better names you can give this movie but it was it it wasn't a bad movie it was a good movie could be the one jake because the sequel is called the two jakes and it's not and it's an okay movie but it's not nearly as good as chinatown i think chinatown is a great movie it's one of my favorites it's this the script is actually held up as an example of this is how you write a screenplay um because there are twists and turns and interesting character motivations. And there are some big surprises, which you alluded to. Yep. Um, great cast. Faye Dunaway when she was like at the, at the, the top of the box office. John Houston, <laughs> who, who plays an, an old guy who has interesting motivations. Let's just put it that way. Uh, just a terrific movie. Really well shot. Um, yeah, Roman Polanski is not the world's greatest person, but at this point, he's probably not getting a lot of money if you rent Chinatown out of it. So, and it's available on streaming and stuff. But I'm, terrific movie. My, uh, I'll throw the trivia thing for Beulah Quo out. Yes, and I thought this was interesting. Uh, her last name is now spelled Quo Q U O, but it was originally spelled K W O H. 
quo, but she changed it because she kept getting phone calls because she was being mistaken for KWOH, a radio station. Oh, my God. So she said, you know what? I've had enough of this and changed her last name legally. And all of a sudden, the call stopped. That sucks. Hey, am I caller number seven? Wow, I would get really freaking old. I would think. Oh, and by the way, Chinatown has one of the great all-time jokes told in a movie. Oh, yeah, because that one... And the timing of it was perfect. Yes, exactly, exactly. Uh, not a clean joke, by the way, so yeah. No, no, this is... But an, don't, don't, don't watch this movie with the kids. An excellent... No, don't watch the movie with the kids, because there's lots of stuff in it that kids shouldn't be watching, unless your kids Absolutely. are 30, in which case your kids will probably like it but yes one of the all-time great jokes in films which will might come up again later in the show it could and yet no i'm not going to bring that up later in the show <laughs> but uh it, it is kind of a segue to the the mulan uh review that i'll be doing later in the show after todd does his stuff see it's a tease to make you listen to the rest of the show because Todd's got some cool stuff, too. You had a, a movie from around the same time. Well, actually, I guess it was a few years later. A few years later. And I have a movie which also contains one of the other great jokes of all time in films. And which actually fits the movie a little bit more because this is a horror comedy, An American Werewolf in London. Comedy? Horror. A horror. If those work, I'll shut up now. A horror comedy. Uh... Yeah, if you're looking for a blueprint for how to do like a detective flick, Chinatown. You could you could do worse like a thousand times. If you're looking for the blueprint on how to do <laughs> if you're looking for the blueprint on how to do a horror comedy, hard to beat an American werewolf in London. And again, this is quite older, so if you haven't seen it yet, there's a chance you may not have even been born, but you still need to watch it. So the setup is two friends, they're off on a backpacking trip through at least the, the, the British Isles. And they are in Yorkshire, except they're not really in Yorkshire, it's actually filmed in Wales. And they come across in, the scenery is, is beautiful, and one of the characters says there's nothing here, and he's kind of missing the point. So they, they go to this little pub, and it's called The Slaughtered Lamb, which as one of the guys said, played by Griffin Dunn, says it's not really inviting, so it's weird. There's something weird with this town. They're twice warned to stay on the road, stay off the moors. And of course, they don't think about that. They just wander off. And they are attacked by, you barely get a glimpse of this beast that attacks them. Kills one, the other one lives, played by David Naughton. Jack is killed. Poor Jack. David lives. But David is injured. Uh, David rolls over, looks over, and sees, and again, this happens like in the first 15 minutes. That wasn't an animal. There's a guy laying there who's shot up. Uh, by the way, the title is An American Werewolf in London, so not exactly a spoiler there. So from there, we go on to figuring out what's going to happen to poor David as he's in a hospital, and he's recovering from his wounds. He's been in a coma for three weeks, Three weeks. He was attacked under a full moon. Three weeks have gone by. Things are getting closer and closer. Foreshadowing. Yes. He's seen his friend Jack. Remember, his friend Jack is dead, but he's seen his friend Jack. Jack is telling him, hey, 
Uh, you know that thing that attacked us? Not a good thing. You know what's going to happen to you? Also not a good thing. <clears throat> so David is struggling with, is this real? I think I'm going crazy. Turns out he wasn't going crazy because bad things happened because it is called an American werewolf in London. Let me remind you of that. So the journey goes on of how he deals with the fact that he's turning into a werewolf, and that's kind of scary. There are so many funny parts to this. This is from John Landis. Uh, yeah, some people died when he was filming his segment of Twilight Zone, the movie, but he wasn't exactly at fault. So excellent comedy director, excellent horror director, and to me, this is his best work. David Naughton, by the way, if you have ever heard the I'm a pepper, you're a pepper, shouldn't you be a pepper? That's the guy who sang that back in the late 70s. He's the guy from the commercials. So, Can I yeah. throw some humor in about that? Yeah, please do. Uh, the reason that didn't go over well in the UK, however, is because uh, there, the sl a slang term for prostitute okay, <laughs> is pepper. So you see David Naughton singing down the street, I'm a pepper, you're a, wouldn't you like to be a pepper too? It is kind of, I'm a prostitute, he's a prostitute, she's a prostitute, would you like to be a prostitute? And for some reason, it didn't sell very well. Amazing. Gee, who knew? So the movie has some excellent horror set pieces, like some of the scariest crap you see outside of The Exorcist. Tons of funny set pieces, as in David is escaping from one particular nightmare and he's wanders into a porn theater and there's Jack looking really gross now because Jack is decomposing with the horrible slash marks and stuff. Which, by the way, uh, no CGI, all practical effects. Really yeah. good work by Rick Baker. On the 1981? I believe so, yeah. Just incredible job. There, there have been better transformation scenes of werewolves since then, but not many. And remember, in camera, so beat that. Like, the effects are terrific. Plenty of scares, plenty of comedy, including a fantastic joke told in the pub having to do with people on a plane and trying to lighten the load. And I just really, really I hadn't seen the movie for a few years, so I watched it again just the other night. I thought, yeah, why not? Hard to beat this example. I mean, to me, it's like the best horror comedy flick ever. And that's a very difficult to walk that line. I mean, you can go all the way back to like Abbott and Costello meet whoever. And most of those are really fun. Uh, you've got the the films that Vincent Price and Boris Karloff did in the in the 60s that they did a few of those horror comedies the comedy of terror comedy of terrors I think it is um, so so there are a few examples here and there but usually they fail uh, Tremors is another fairly good example although it's not as scary as American Werewolf uh, American Werewolf in Paris that is a big no do not watch that one. Only except the original, as far as the horror comedy. And except no London. Yes. Very, very good stuff. I also watched another horror comedy. This one's more recent. This one actually came out <clears throat> 2017, but I just came across it the other day. It's called Dave Made a Maze. Uh, basically, the premise is this guy uh, just decided to make a maze in his house of cardboard boxes. 
his significant other walks in. It's like, what the hell is going on there? Because there are like seven or eight cardboard boxes all kind of crafted together in the middle of their living room. And Dave, who is inside the maze, and he's saying, hey, uh, I'm stuck. And she says, well, maybe you should get out. And he says, I can't. I'm lost. And that's the premise. Eventually, she and other friends decide to enter the maze to help him get out, even though he tells them not to. They get lost because the inside of the maze is gigantic, and it goes on and on and on. Uh, this movie is really, really funny. It has very cheap effects, but they work. Uh, there's some decapitations. There's some explosions of people, stuff like that. Uh, <laughs> just the normal kind of stuff you run across in horror movies. Of course. It's very entertaining. It's very fun. The, to me, the interesting thing about that is uh, I'm sure pretty much everybody who listens to this has heard of Calvin and Hobbes. Yeah. The artist who created Calvin and Hobbes created this movie. So this, this is Bill Watterson's project, of all things, and he makes this bizarre horror comedy of a guy making a cardboard maze, which has some sort of odd demonic possession thing going on inside of it. And it, it, it's like a, the Descent light version, except it all happens in a guy's living room. Very weird movie, very fun movie. Uh, and it, it's available for streaming wherever you like to stream your stuff, basically. Super funny, super odd. Uh, just think of Calvin and Hobbes doing a horror thing. And no, Calvin is not in it and Hobbes isn't in it, although maybe they're in there somewhere as like a little Easter egg. But Cave painting. Very, very funny flick, which I think hardly anyone's ever heard of. Dave Made a Maze. Highly recommend it. Yeah, you mentioned that in pre-pro, and I went, Dave made a maze. Uh, yeah. What? Huh? Yeah. Missed yeah, this entirely. Yeah, I don't even know if it was even re released theatrically. And again, this is from a few years ago, so it's not like, oh, COVID, no one could go to the theater. But We, we were doing this show at the time, but yeah. We, we were doing this show at the time, yeah. And missed it until just, uh, actually watched about a month ago. But I do have two other things, two series, highly recommended. Uh, That's you can find this on Adult Swim, of all things, or you can get a, or you can actually find it on Amazon Prime. Primal. Now, there are two versions of this. Gendy Tartofsky's Primal. Uh, you may recognize the name, Dexter's Lab, Star Wars, Clone Wars, that guy. So he created this series about a caveman who bonds with a dinosaur. Yeah, that couldn't really happen. He's well aware of that. Um, and it has his distinctive animated style, so people are kind of squared off and stuff. Uh, one of the interesting things about this is it does have a voice cast, but there's no dialogue, unless you <laughs> unless you count as dialogue. Lots of screams and and roars, and that's from that's from the caveman. Basically, it, it sets up the story of how this caveman and the dinosaur bond and various little adventures they go on. Uh, you can also get it on Amazon as Primal Tales of Savagery, which collects the first four episodes. So far, there are six, and I have not been able to catch the number six yet. 
but there are more coming. So far, there are 10 that are slated to be released, which is terrific news. This is, the storytelling is just terrific. They're each 22 minutes long. It's just, and if you can imagine, okay, there's dinosaurs and there's cavemen living at the same time. So it, the world is totally open to all sorts of weird, odd things. They, so, there's that guy who put dinosaurs on the ark in Kentucky. I wouldn't worry about that too much. Yeah, exactly. So highly recommend Primal. And again, you can watch the first four all as a film where they just, there's as far as I know, there's nothing added. It's just those four all stitched together. But the, each episode is totally separate. It doesn't really matter. Other than watching the first, watch the first one first. After that, you could pretty, pretty much watch in, in any order. But really good stuff. Primal. Gendy Tartakovsky's Primal. The other series, uh, HBO's been, yeah, well, HBO's been doing good series for uh, a few decades now. This is their next one, though, Lovecraft Country. I was really excited for this to come out because I'd read the book, and it examines race relations in the U.S. through the prism of Lovecraft, which is a pretty interesting concept. Set in the mid-50s, like 55. Uh, so after protagonist, Chinatown. After Chinatown. Yeah, about 20 years <laughs> after. Close to 20 years after Chinatown. And race, race relations still suck in the U.S. Actually, they do still suck, but in Lovecraft country, they still suck. So the premise is there's a gentleman who is writing the guidebook, like the Green Book, if you're familiar with that film, places that are safe for blacks to go to or Negroes at, at that stage of history. And there's a lot of places they can't go to. So he's writing this guidebook. His nephew kind of goes along, comes in to help. They go to a place that they really shouldn't have gone to. This is where the Lovecraft stuff comes in. Turns out there's this bizarre secret society who's trying to uh, stage a renaissance of a personal renaissance where the guy's going to be immortal. Yeah, there's weird, weird, freaky monsters. The, the best part, the best part of this so far is it opens with the guy's having a dream because he had fought in Korea. And look who's there, Cthulhu. It's like by far the best rendering I have ever seen in any media of Cthulhu. It's like, that is horrifying. The giant creature with bat wings and the tentacle face. And yeah, he's enormous. And just as it's about to kill him, he is saved by a baseball player with a baseball bat. Because, sure. Because it's a dream. And unfortunately, it reforms and things are about to get bad and he wakes up. The thing is, the dreams kind of come true. Uh, not to that extent yet, because I'm only three episodes in. But the, the first episode pretty much sets the stage and there's a lot going on. It's, so it's, it's not just uh, exposition got on board. Really, really in, great. The Take second episode before the movie. Yeah, the second episode continues with the first part where they meet this guy in in, in Lovecraft Country who has got this kind of evil scheme to uh, take over the world, basically. 
and you'll find out what happens there. The third episode switches gears and goes on same characters, but it's a different aspect of the story, which follows the book because the book had different stages of things that were going on. So maybe they get past one threat, maybe they don't, but a, a different threat comes up. So I really like where this is going because it has elements of, well, lots of elements of Lovecraft, obviously, because it's a Lovecraft crunchy, duh. But yeah. like the third episode, this was kind of like half poltergeist, half exorcist. Uh, so it moved away from the Lovecraft aspect of it, but still definitely rooted in horror. Possibly it's the best TV series on right now, as far as things that are still being released out in production. So far, they've done a terrific job of adapting the book. Book is terrific. Uh, definitely talks a lot about race relations. I mean, it's at the very core of the story. And so is so are Eldritch Horrors. So it's a really unusual mashup of that, and it totally works. Oh, and by the way, uh, spoiler alert, nobody is safe. And that's all I'll say. <laughs> so. Co-written uh, by George R.R. R. Martin. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Similar. Um, I really enjoyed everything I, I, I reviewed this week, which is nice because sometimes we watch movies so you don't have to. But out of, out of all of them, I really enjoyed Lovecraft Country the, the most. Well, actually, yeah, we watch movies so you don't have to. And I think I watched this one and I... You know what? You, you, you don't have to. Um, <laughs> talking about the new version of Mulan, mm. which came out on Disney Plus. Yes, we paid for it. So there. And we're still paying for it. Now, um, I do have a problem with this movie. And I realize that a lot of this is really just going to be me. But uh, the problem is not with the acting because the acting was great. It is not with the special effects. The special effects were great. The fight scenes were spectacular. That's not my problem. It, it's the rampant prejudice against women that is in this movie. And I know it was like this, and it still is not to that extent, but it, it's still there. And I, But I've never understood personally, why someone who can do an excellent job at something, be it, you know, war or business or sports or whatever is left out because of gender, skin color, religion, sexual preference, again, whatever. Um, there's a lot of women can only bring honor by marrying and taking care of the family in this movie. And, and frankly, that pisses me off. Uh, the, there's a, almost a constant, if only she had a penis jabs and no, I, uh, I mean, you know, the movie itself is beautiful and the story apart from the prejudices is really good. Uh, we've got some great acting performances from Lee Gong, Donnie Yen, Jet Li is in this movie. I forgot about that till I was watching it. And then I went, I know him. He's got <laughs> facial hair now. So he looks different, but then you kind of go, well, that's Jet Lee. Okay, cool. They're all good. Uh, Rosalind Chow, who I have not seen since Deep Space Nine, uh, she's in this. But now I'm actually reminded of how uh, how well she plays characters that are uh, overly conservative and irksome. <laughs> you know, but 
Yeah, that's what she does. There is no Mushu dragon in this, by the way. No. So Eddie Murphy is not in this film. Um, there's a, but you know, there's still a lot of crap in this movie. Like there's a scene in the middle, I guess kind of toward the end where Mulan literally kills all the bad guys in this invading army, saving their army and all these people that she saved. But she has breasts, so she has to be expelled and disgraced and everything. I'm like, are you high? Which is not something you're supposed to be shouting at a Disney movie. <laughs> I mean, I, I know it's an old legend and everything, but I, I don't get the prejudices. And it, it every time it took me out and made me pissed at this movie. Well, that's but to me, that's that's the whole point. I know that's the whole point. The, I mean, you know, this, the, this is made in a culture that used to abandon if there was a second child was female, they would take them into the mountains and leave them. I get that. I really do. And, you know, the, the scene where she killed everybody is yeah. excellent. But apart from Mulan and very few other characters, everyone is a prejudiced ass in this movie. And I don't get that. I'm never going to get that. Well, I know, but I think so, that's, I think it's I, supposed I know to it's do true. exactly what it's doing. It's supposed to piss you off. Um, so if, yeah. if you're like me, who is apparently liberal, watch the movie for the action scenes. If you're conservative, watch the whole damn thing because they figured out something that you obviously haven't yet. <laughs> and of course, you know, they they do finally figure it out at the end. That's not a spoiler. This is a, a how many thousands of years old is this story? Yeah, it's a few. So, yeah, bite me on that. Um, the, you know, this is, this is the way this movie had to be made. I understand that. But at the same time, Disney in its new, we must take everything and make it our own. Uh, they did a scene at the end with the witch and Mulan that is very, very return of the Jedi which was which was not necessary. Um, there's a scene that's essentially, oh, it's too late for me, Luke. I cannot turn from the dark side now and falls just short of help me take this mask off. <laughs> you know, it, it, it's, it's almost right there. Only now Luke and Vader are gender swapped. Oh, look how woke this movie is. Yeah, bite me. It's... It's not a bad movie. And if you can sit through movies where you see rampant prejudice and things that piss you off in that manner, go for it. It's a good film. If those kind of things irk you as much as they irk me, watch it for the action scenes because they're really good. But uh, I will tell you, oh, one last thing to tell you is that the movie is listed at as, as an hour and 55 minutes long, but 11 of those are credits and there is no post credit scene. I'll save you a little trouble of fast forwarding. through it. <laughs> Yay. So, you know, make of this movie what you will. If you're liberal, you're going to be annoyed by a lot of it, but the action scenes are great. If you're conservative, watch it and learn something. <laughs> that's, that's funny as if that would happen. Yeah, I know. They're going to watch it and not get a damn thing out of it. 
Say it backs up my opinions. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm I'm preparing myself for the other show that ironically comes out the day before this one did. <laughs> We're back to watching Tenet again from last week. Things are going in different directions, and it doesn't make sense. I'm so, uh, so sorry. <laughs> anyway, Yo. that wraps up another episode of the reviews are in. Thanks for listening, and. Yes, the world is still just as screwed up outside with all the rampant prejudices and the COVID virus. So you know what? It's just best to stay home and watch a movie. Captain, we're losing power on the warp engines. I think we should be leaving now. I'm going to go home and sleep with my wife. Uh, and on that unusually harmonious bombshell, it is time to end. I am very disappointed. Man, we have a weird job. It's shameful, but... Uh, eh. It's a living. And like that, he's gone. Hey, who turned out the lights?